This is Richard Lett, and you're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Sign up at yuckyucks.com to become a VIP member for a chance to win great prizes every month. You'll also receive discounts, special offers, and notifications about special shows before they're even announced to the general public. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. You're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy. I don't think so. What? What? Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. With your host, Jake Hirsch. All right, what is going on, my little yucca maniacs? Thank you, thank you, thank you for that warm introduction, Mr. Man on the microphone. Which is just me. This is just me. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, back to the Yuck Yucks podcast. Uh, great show last week. As you guys heard it, Tony Crollo was on the show. Before that, we had the just awesome Richard Glenlett, who is uh, just wrapping up his pilgrimage across Canada, his... Uh, his sober tour, which is uh, which has just been a dynamite thing. I hope you guys had a chance to catch that. Uh, Tony Crollo, again last week. What a great guy, man! Great guest. I had such a blast interviewing him. But I have been gone. I have been gone. I just got back into town Saturday night. I was in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and it was awesome. I got to tell you right now, I'm I'm still battling a little bit of a cold. I don't know if it's the climate change. I don't know if it's the mullets out in Nova Scotia that uh, got me. <laughs> That's why I never made it as a cum comedian. I, I never really, well, eh, whatever. Anyway, um, yes, Nova Scotia was amazing. Uh, I got to go out there for 10 glorious days. I got to meet up with some amazing people, uh, some of the Trailer Park uh, cast, Trailer Park Boys cast, of course, uh, my good friend Lucy Decateri, I uh, got to meet up with her, um, and, and just so many fabulous people, I, and, and you know, everybody says the same thing about the East Coast, everybody says the same thing, uh, the, 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 the people are wonderful, and they are, they truly are, people in Nova Scotia uh, absolutely kick ass. Uh, went out to Halifax, uh, the beginning of our trip, about three days there. Uh, spent the next uh, five days in Sydney. Got to hook up with my good buddy, Frankie McDonald, the weatherman, uh, who does some weather on my other show. And uh, it was great. Got to spend some time with family. Got to meet some new friends. Got to hit <laughs> hear some absolutely crazy stories that only uh, you can appreciate if you've got a nice cold pint of beer in front of you. Some Alexander Keiths and uh, and some good company, which I had, which was amazing. And it, and and even some of the old school stuff that they still got kicking around Sydney. I mean, the drive-in movie theater that was awesome. I went and I go. I went and I uh, I saw Straight Outta Compton. At the drive-in movie theater, which reminded me of the drive-in movie theater down in L.A., which if people don't like it, they just start shooting at the screen, which made me feel right at home. It was great. Um, but yes, the trip was awesome. The weather was amazing. There was only a couple of rainy days out there. And, uh, and the food, the food. Although there was one incident here. I went to uh, this place called Murphy's, which is a great restaurant, uh, apparently very historic, very uh, very uh, old school place on the pier, uh, right there in the waterfront in Halifax. Overlook the entire uh, inlet, the bay there, and uh, it was it was absolutely magical. And I ordered a pound and a half lobster, of course, with all the fixins, as they call it out there, all the sides and all the fixins. And it was glorious. They just about to bring out this big lobster. They came. They tied a bib around my neck. I was feeling, uh, you know, like a VIP out there. Beautiful patio, overlooking the water. Beers were flowing, uh, the seafood tank was was brimming, and uh, this bird came and took a big giant shit right on my lobster plate before I was going to eat. Before I was going to throw down, this bird came out of nowhere, parked up right on top of me, and just, it looked like a grizzly bear had taken a crap right on my plate. It was unbelievable. Now... I don't know where this came from. I'm not sure if this is actually true or not. You guys would probably be the better judge of this. I've been hearing from people, though, that if a bird takes a shit on your, on you, I don't know if it's on you or on something that belongs to you or I don't know, anywhere in your proximity, it's considered good luck. 
it's considered good luck. So if my first night, technically my second night in Halifax, I flew in really late at night, the first night, my second night in Halifax started off with a bird taking a shit on my plate, then it must have meant good news for me. Because, or, or good luck rather, because the rest of the trip was absolutely amazing. Now, <clears throat> the second part of this whole equation too was that I got to go check out Dalhousie University. I went to go check out this other classic place called Salty's right on the waterfront. And of course, the advice, the opinions, the referrals were all coming in huge on my Facebook uh, page, uh, people telling me where to go, where to visit, who to see, uh, but just so much history out there. Uh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. We went out to the fortress in Lewisburg, which is a very old historic. If you guys don't have a chance to uh, to get out there, I, I really recommend that you go check out the fortress. It's like this old school fortress, uh, you know, from back in the day when the British were invading, and uh, it's it's just amazing. They fired a cannon. The people dress up in in uh, you know the the uh, you know the 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 time period uh, piece of, of where everybody wears the clothing. They do some reenactments. There's sheep. There's <laughs> There's all types of stuff out there. The funny part, though, was when I walked up and the guy that was, uh, you know, doing the whole uh, welcome to Fort, uh, you know, uh, Lewisburg, and uh, here you will fight. You know, he starts giving us the whole ramble in his uh, reenactment, you know, period costume. And uh, I noticed he's wearing a Timex. Yeah. So I said, oh, do they have Timex back in the... uh?" And he just says, get... Stepping, all right? Keep walking, smartass, basically is what he told me. Uh, he was carrying a musket, so I didn't really talk back. Hey, anyway, this week, folks, uh, and on that note, it is great to be back. It is great to be back behind the microphone and talking to all of you yucca maniacs out there. Hey, big news last night. I was, uh, you know, flipping through the new and noteworthy shows on iTunes, and uh, lo and behold, what was featured front and center? No, it wasn't the the uh, Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, It was the Yuck Yucks comedy podcast. That's right. Hashtag YYCP with the man, the myth, the legend, Jake Hirsch, front and center. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. In case uh, nobody applauded back at home. Uh, Yes, it was the YYCP podcast. I am so proud of that because obviously millions of people look at that a day to find good content on iTunes. And I want to thank you guys for all your support listening to the show. This has been some of the greatest work yet uh, coming out. Some of these interviews and the and the, uh, the people that we got. We got, I'm, I'm telling you right now, man, stacked. Absolutely stacked. Oh, my God. That's right. Stacked October coming up. And the interviews just keep getting better and better. This week right now, this is a, this is a podcast very near and dear to my heart. Um, Miss Lori Gibbs is my guest today. And Lori Gibbs, let me just tell you, I, for some damn reason, I just felt an instant kinship with this woman. Um, I've been a fan of hers for a very long time. Uh, my girlfriend and I went to the club and, and, and saw her personally and we watched her show and she just absolutely kicked ass. Not to mention, uh, Jeff Kubik was on that show as well. Did really, really well. And there was a guy there, John Bueller, John Bueller. I'm telling you right now, as a guy to watch out for, I am a huge fan of this guy. And I followed him on Twitter. He doesn't follow me back. You son of a bitch. Follow me on Twitter, John. Uh, but no, great guy. If you have a chance to go see John Bueller perform uh, or Jeff Kubik, go check them out. But I was an instant fan of John Bueller. His comedy is uh, <laughs> is just on a different level. You, you know, you, you kind of get those vibes from people where you just, you're like, wow, man, this guy's got some star power. John Bueller, I'm telling you right now, a name to look out for. Hopefully we'll have him on the show soon. Same thing with Jeff Kubik. Great talent. Great show at Yuck Yucks. But yes, back to my guest, Lori Gibbs. Absolutely crushed it at the Yuck Yucks Calgary at the Elbow River Casino. That was such an amazing show. Uh, Lori came out and, and obviously had a huge fan base here in Calgary. She, she works uh, or she worked at the uh, Up 97.7 uh, there in Calgary as a rainy uh, morning radio show host. Um, just amazing. Absolutely amazing. I felt a kinship with her. I think maybe because we you know kind of got into the comedy game quite a bit later than some people. And, you know, a lot of people, you can either start comedy, you know, obviously at any time, but it, the, the his, historically, people tend to start it early or they start a little bit late. And I think that obviously staying uh, late with, uh, or sorry, starting late in comedy is, I mean, 
I think you just got so much more experience and stories and life to draw from that makes some of your comedy even more compelling. You know, when you're 17, 18 years old, and God bless comedians that start off very young, because I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. In fact, I never would have been able to do it, to get up on stage early on. Um, it takes a lot of guts, takes a lot of courage, and you know, you're really just at that point in your, in your life, I think, sharing a lot of your insight, your opinions on life. Uh, and some people either like it because they think you've got a very interesting take or angle on comedy, or they look at it and say, well, you know, what life experience do you have, man? You know, what do you know at 18 or 19 years old? And that's not to say you don't, because there's people who have lived a lifetime of comedy uh, or a lifetime of, uh, you know, have a life experience at the time they're 18 or 19 years old. I just found that my niche was more on the back nine, on the 40-year-old end of thing, (laughs) on the 40 years of life experience and complete disasters in my life that I used to, you know, compile into great, compelling stories that I love to tell on stage. But anyway... Lori Gibbs and I just had this instant connection, a wonderful woman, and uh, just couldn't have been, couldn't have been nicer. Uh, we spent an hour backstage at Yuck Yucks in the green room, and uh, very, very happy with this interview. I hope you guys are too. Keep your ears and eyes peeled for all the stuff coming up. Uh, we're going to have some great news releases coming up soon and with some uh, fascinating guests. But in the meantime, let's go talk to my good friend, Miss Lori Gibbs. Any record producers out there, agents, people of the music industry, you're missing out. We've got a uh, renaissance woman here. Mm -hmm. can do it all. Mm -hmm. Comedian, morning radio personality, uh, mother. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You've you've got a bunch of writer. You do you do tons of stuff. We're sitting here with Lori Gibb. Hi. I don't water ski though. You don't water ski? No. I've never tried that either. I try. Uh, on a regular basis. Have you gone out and tried before? Uh, many times, yes. Less in my in my older days now, but next summer I think I'm going to be smaller than this summer. <laughs> right. And so I'm thinking maybe that'll help because uh-huh. I think you know you got to have a powerful boat if yes. you're a big person, right? Absolutely. And so the smaller you are, maybe the better chance you have. <laughs> this one. is my optimism about it. It's probably that I have no technique and I feel like I'm on a different planet like how uncomfortable is it to be in the water okay that feels great right i'm in the water i'm a fish i'm a scorpio it's perfect yeah now put some really long sticks on my feet in boots (laughs) that i can't get on but there's lube but i don't have that and then and then put a life jacket on that's obviously tight and so it rides up because of the water, and now it's choking me yes. along with yes. my extra chins at the same time. And then they're like, okay, it's going to be fun. And I'm like, no, it's not going to be fun. I almost, you know what's funny is that people are always telling like, oh, you know what, you have to be careful. Those sports are, you know, this water skiing, jet skiing also. I almost got killed by the life jacket. That's funny that you say yes. that because I almost got killed by one out in uh, a Soyuz. Mm-hmm. A couple years back, what happened? It, it was it was like way too. I don't. It was like I don't know if it was too big or too small. I don't know what it was, but it raised up and it choked me. Yeah. As I fell off the jet ski and almost I almost drowned. Right. I felt like I was like I had to unbutton it to get to actually live. See, and you know what we learned from this, especially you. You can relate now to people who died on the Titanic because. Yes. They didn't die from drowning so much as when they hit the water, their life jackets rammed up and broke their necks. No. That could have been you. That could have been me. Yeah. But how ironic would that have been? 
To die from your own life jacket. It's, oh my God. That would have been good. It's a death jacket. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds like a Patton Oswalt bit. All a death jacket. A death wow. jacket. Wow. I'm glad we both have that problem. Maybe we need like the toddler life jacket. That Maybe has we can invent strap. something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, hear, I see us on the Dragon's Den within the next year. Too, too. We would yeah. have to have such a good friend that would do that strap up for us. <laughs> you know what, you guys? You're on your own. You're, yeah. Right? I'll yeah. do yours. You do mine. <laughs> okay. Promise us you'll never come back to the Dragon's Den again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I've got so many questions. You've got such a great following uh, here in Calgary, obviously, because you've been here for, what, six, seven years? How long have you been here now? Um, I've lived here since 1985. Okay. And I've been doing comedy for nine years because I started when I was 40. Okay. And now I'm 27. That's a story in itself, though, because you're kind of, I'm in the same boat. I'm 40 years old. Yeah. I just started comedy in the last year. No I've been kidding. I've been doing hosting for a little while, like radio stuff, but yeah. I, I just started doing stand-up within the last five months, six months. Really? Yeah. So I, I, when, I, when I heard your story, uh, I was like, this, I can relate to this person. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. How scared were you to try? I was, I had like, uh, I had to use the bathroom really badly, like knots in my stomach. Yeah. 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 And I just kept it. It was almost like, uh, the the best way I can describe it is someone said, you're going to fight this bully after school at three o'clock. And I just kept looking at the clock going like, I could probably, you know, I could fake an injury. I could probably get sick. I yes. can just find an out. But yeah. I had, like, I don't know if this was your situation, but I had so much family and friends coming out to watch me my first time. It was like I couldn't let them down at that point. So yeah. I went yeah. right for the booze. Oh, did you? Yeah, I had a couple of shots of Jack Daniels and ah! a couple of beers, and I was like, I got to, yeah. I have yeah. a feeling it went pretty well, though, didn't it? It did go. It yeah, did, it did. It? it did. Yeah. Tell. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And then you were, you were bitten. I was addicted. And it Absolutely. has your soul now. Yes. I'm, I'm so happy that we're in this yeah. together. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, 40, um, for me, I'm going to assume what your question was. Uh, I had wanted to do comedy for probably tw- 15 to 20 years before that. Right. But I was simply too frightened. Right. And I didn't have a ton of self-confidence. And I was self-conscious about being a big lady and so I thought, I already feel vulnerable. Sure. Now I want to be as vulnerable as a person can get, right. except for, you know, being naked on stage. But <laughs> in many ways you are. Right. And so every time I would I would drive by the comedy club, it was like it was like a bad lifetime movie. <laughs> like you would I'd be driving along, maybe like Chicago's playing on my iPod, right? And then I would gaze over in slow motion to the comedy club. <laughs> And you would see a wistful look come across my face. <laughs> and just one tear. Like the Native Indian on that commercial they had. And then... Oh, my God. And then and then I would keep driving. And you would hear like a melancholy minor key kind of violin. And then a cat would die. And I would, I would feel like that every time I went by oh a comedy club. God. I'd go, well, I guess that dream has died. <laughs> And, and I turned 40, and I was out for dinner that night with my husband and a friend of mine and her boyfriend, right. who I didn't really know him that well. Right. So we're sitting there talking, and he goes, so she tells me you want to try stand-up. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. And my husband goes, what? Yeah, I no idea. I hadn't even told him. No way. Because I was afraid that if I said it out loud, like, something bad would happen. Right. Uh, I can't really explain can't, it. it yeah. was like, you can't own it yet. It's yeah. my thing, and I kind of don't want to let it out because you can't put it back in. Right. And I said, yeah, it's just ah, stupid. Blah. And, he, and he says to me, the guy, well, why don't you? And I'm like, oh, don't be ridiculous. Why don't I? You've seen it go badly. <laughs> right. What could be worse than that? <laughs> right. Like, other than a slow death. And he says, well... Yeah, that's true, but you really want to. And I go, yes. And he says, well, if you were on your deathbed and you were looking back at your life, mm-hmm. would you regret it if you'd never tried it? Right. And I stared him down and I said, you asshole. <laughs> I have to try it now. I was so angry because I, I had no defense against that. Of course I would regret it. Absolutely. So I thought about it, and a few months later, the uh, the friend that was dating him, <laughs> she 
she was a member of the Deer Valley United Church, and <laughs> the minister was putting on a ladies' healing retreat in Caroline, oh. Alberta. Oh, my God. And she said, Jennifer, the minister, who, coincidentally, married my husband and I in 1994. No way. Yeah. Didn't remember me. Crazy I, coincidence. Yeah. She's having a healing retreat, just the ladies. She wants to know if you'd like to try stand-up for the first time. And they'd be a really supportive crowd, and they'd right. know it was your first time. Sure. And I was like, I just made myself say yes before any other words could wow. come out. And that was my first gig. You're kidding me. Mm-mm. That is That could be a Lifetime movie. That was so inspirational. Wow. I know. And the thing is, like, to get a little Oprah, it, what, is there anything, like, more healing than laughing? I don't know if there's anything, like, and I don't know if that's the addictive part of it or not. Um, it's, it's funny, though, because... I listened to something that you had said at one point in time where you said, uh, I'm not one of those people that when I watch comedy, I take notes and I try to figure out how they figure out the crowd and how they work it. Yeah. It's, it's actually about a pure, raw emotion of saying, I'm really enjoying myself in the moment. I'm laughing at what they have to say. Because yes. that, you know, a lot of innocence is taken away from comedians when they're, the only time you can really enjoy it is if you're watching someone dig themselves out of something or if there's a heckler or... Yeah. But you really enjoy yeah. it. Or you if really it's your en- friend and you know their material right. and you know that they just, maybe they just added a new tag or they right. got a callback or someone said something in the audience and they made a riff out of it and you're like, yes. Yeah. yeah, or, yeah. You're, or like you text them your tag that you just thought of for their joke and they right. do the same for you afterwards. I love that stuff. That's okay, cool. It's so weird. <laughs> um, uh, like because the camaraderie of comedy is is super powerful right. as well. Um I uh, I don't really say the question again because I'm going to go on a tangent if you don't. No, that's fine because I, I just I I think that that it's different. There, there's I've met a lot of comedians where they they need to have that edge all the time where they can't really enjoy it unless someone is struggling. Oh right, oh, right, 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 but, right. But but yourself, like I mean, talking about your first time, this is something you're truly passionate about. Yeah, you just never really developed it until you were forced to develop it yeah and 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 what's that journey been since then um well the driving force is uh you might get a cavity from this but i promise you it's the truth if if i make somebody else happy it makes me happy yeah i think that's a very normal human thing sure um so if i'm going to shoppers drug mart and i'm picking up a prescription and the pharmacist looks very serious. Immediately, the girl in my head says, you have to get a, a giggle out of that person. Right. You have to do something. Right. And then you do, and you walk out like, <laughs> Yeah, like I just did know. something <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. Right. Right. And you never know where it would go after that. Um, so I try to remember that, no matter what comedy situation I'm in, is that it's about making that reaction in someone else. Mm-hmm. And and to remember to be grateful that you have a chance to do that. Right. And if I keep that in the front of my mind, I don't get caught up in the negative stuff. Right. Right. Like at the beginning, first couple of years, I was doing pretty well, pretty fast, mm-hmm. and I wanted everything. Right. right. Yeah, I want to win a contest. I want to go from amateur night to uh, oh to. Um, uh, Rising Star Night right. and oh my god I want that weekend guest spot I want it I could taste it I want it so bad right. and uh, I want to go on the road I want to go to Lethbridge so bad good lord what was I thinking <laughs> and, but at the time like the first Lethbridge for 75 bucks to do 15 minutes holy god that it's, was my nirvana right? Right, right and and you just gotta and, and it, all of getting that seemed important and it's weird I'm not sure I can explain why but the longer I do it and the more stuff I get the least the less important it is right because at the bottom of it it's still about making somebody feel good right right, right. and it doesn't matter whether you're in Camp Caroline mm-hmm. or you're at a festival right or you're at Shoppers Drug Mart yeah right so you can get that fix whenever you want Wherever if you, you want it bad enough exactly and you'll do it for free that's, that's awesome <laughs> that is great I mean, obviously, you know, even getting into comedy, I mean, having this be something that you wanted to do your entire life, tell me about some of the formative years. Like, what were you always an entertainer? Were you a performer for your family? Were you performing uh, at the supper table? or, or? Not, not anything that I would consider out of the ordinary for most kids growing up. My, I realize now that my mom uh, was and is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I realize now that she and my stepdad raised us on 
really good comedy. Right. It was like the Carol Burnett show, MASH, All in the Family. It was considered the good TV back then. So good. Yeah, yeah. But of course, at the time, I didn't know that's just what's happening in my house, so that is my normal. Right. And so I, I guess it was kind of a funny house. Not always a super happy house, but we could always find humor, even if it was dark humor. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I was just thinking of my mom because we did. <laughs> she was just here last weekend. This is my dark humor example. Um, about 20 years ago, my stepdad Angus died. And I drove out to Abbotsford to see my mom. And I had my then baby, Dylan, with mm-hmm. me. And we came out and, you know, I was helping her out planning stuff and and hugging her and stuff and we had to go pick up angus's ashes at the place so we go there and they're like was he he was a very large man because uh, they cremated him and like they said we almost needed two containers and we're trying not to laugh right because we like want to make a fat joke but, sure. <laughs> but like he's dead and we're holding him so it doesn't seem right so then we we put him in the back of our minivan and we're driving home she's like oh shoot i forgot i have to stop at london drugs i'm like oh no problem i could use some stuff so we st- we park and I'm like, don't you think we should crack the window? <laughs> so we did. And we're like, we'll just be like 20 minutes, Angus. And he was like, like, we took a turn too fast and he rolled. And then we get home and, oh and I God. said, do you have any idea what, what he would want you to do with them? And she goes, I don't really think he would, he would care. He wasn't right. that kind of a guy. Right. But, you know, he did like, he did like the roses out back. Um, so maybe we could sprinkle them there. And I'm like, yeah. So she lives in this like over 55 complex. So there's kind of a big shared green space at the back and it's sort of open. Right. So we take Angus outside and we start like, like gently dumping him onto the dirt. But have you ever seen ashes? Oh yeah. From, okay, yeah, yeah. from a dead person. Yeah. So you know, like how light they are. Right. Like almost white. It's almost like they float up almost yes. when you dump them out. Yeah. So we're putting these almost white ashes on BC soil, which is loamy and full of compost and nutrients and amazement. And you can see it as plain as day. And we immediately think all the neighbors are going to know exactly what we're doing. And for some reason, we panic. And we... (laughs) I don't know why. Like, we're not doing anything. It's like you're illegal. burying a dead body out in the backyard. That's exactly what we felt like. So, like, we got her little spades and we started to try and dig Angus into the dirt, and, but we couldn't. And there were so many of his damn ashes because he was a big man that we finally, like, we looked both ways and we ran over to the edge of the creek bed and we hucked them in and then we ran inside and had some vodka. <laughs> So, oh. so yes, I could say that the formative years, my mom has a lot to do with it. Um, I remember the oh. first time I made them laugh, I had, this won't be funny, but maybe I was eight or ten, mm-hmm. and I walked out on the back porch, they were on the patio, and our gray and white cat named Casey was outside. And I walked out and I go, hi mom, hi dad, hey you in the gray and white suit. And they burst out laughing. <laughs> And I was talking to the cat. I was talking to Casey. And I I distinctly remember that being a hell of a good feeling, right? And then I, later in, like, like my, I think my brother tried to claim that joke. And I was like, oh, did he? I don't think so. You're like, no, no, no. Because <laughs> he's really funny, too. So, is he? Yeah, yeah, in his own right, he is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he wants to try stand-up. I keep trying to make him do it. Yeah. Like, How did that first gig go for you with it at, the, uh, at the retreat? Oh, boy. Okay, it was... Uh, the scariest thing of my life and um, it was in a room that was just like like a big living room and they put chairs right and and I had just gone home and when I said yes to the gig I just went home and started typing and I typed like 11 pages of I don't know what stories and things and observations with no idea how to write comedy Mm because when anybody starts you don't know sure you have to do it and then build on that so um, I, was, I was so scared that in the hallway right before they introduced me, I spontaneously cried. Mm-hmm. Like, you know when you know you're going to cry and you feel the welling up? Right. There was none of that. There was no lump in the throat. There was no welling. There was no indication except tears started flying out of my eyes. Really? It was a strange, like just a physiological fear wow. reaction. So when I got up in front of them, I remember thinking I should acknowledge that it looks like I was just crying, right? right? So I'm like, I'm totally fine. Like, I'm not scared. I'm not. I'm not. Like, I'm just, I was, 
I was just, oh, I'm just going to look up. Um, not because I don't want the tears to fall out, but because I really like the stipple of the ceiling. And they started laughing. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm not going to die right now. Right. So I kept talking and I kept talking. And in about minute five, I remember thinking, this is what I have to do. This is exactly what I'm supposed to do. There is not a shred of a doubt in my mind. Mm -hmm. I have to do this. And I was high on that for a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adrenaline that would not go away. You work in radio. Yeah. Do you parlay that feeling over to radio at all where you have a chance to work with an audience and you have a fresh audience every day, even though you have loyal listeners? Do you feel like you're still in front of the mic in in that respect as far as making people laugh? Mm. It's really hard because you can't see or hear them. Right. It's it's a trust that you have to have. Mm -hmm. It's a weird comparison because compared to stand-up, there's way less pressure. Right. Right. Because... Clearly, you're not going to have to deal with somebody interrupting you and heckling. Sure, right. You might get someone that emails the station manager and goes, I don't like what Lori Gibbs said. And then <laughs> I will email them and we will become best friends and it will be fine. But, but when you, it, that was the weird part. And my, my, the first radio station I was at, they said to me, like, is it going to be weird for you not to have an audience? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never done this before. Right. And it, it's weird. It's not worse. It's just completely different. Right. But you're always thinking about them and you're always thinking like I'm talking to that person driving to work right now or maybe I'm talking to that lady who's just on mat leave right now and she's been up all night it's neat to think of the individual people that you're talking to Mm -hmm. and we do have loyal listeners that text and and phone in and you just feel like you're there like we're friends right we wake up together every morning. Right. It's pretty cool. That is neat. Yeah. Yeah. I was recently watching a Louis C.K. episode where he, the crescendo of his season finale was him on the road for a couple of days. Uh-huh. And he was just, I think, really probably showcasing all the horrible things that can go on when you're on the road. Hotel rooms, you know, shitty motels, uh, weird guys wanting to hang out with you after the show, uh, sharing a condo with somebody that you don't know, or you're, you know, they want to party. Uh, you one time said, uh, I don't, people, comedians always say that it's lonely on the road, but it's not when you have kids and you get a hotel room by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Is that Especially a good break when they for you? were little, yeah, because I could go to, to a room by myself. I could have a bath with the door open right. for as long as I wanted. Yeah. I could have a nap for as long as I wanted. <laughs> I could go and get chips from the vending machine and not have to share my chips. <laughs> and then I get to tell jokes. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> now, I will tell you, like, a bit of the thrill has worn off. When we, there used to be a Yucks gig in Brandon, Manitoba, which is an 11-hour drive from wow. here. And I did that gig twice. And the second time, it was a whiteout both ways. Wow. And it was with Derek Sweet. And we made it, and it was... But it was dangerous. Like, there's no question. And I think to myself, I'm not willing to do that anymore, (laughs) you know? But at the beginning, you're like, I'll do anything because my addiction is is harsh and raw. And I can't think straight because of that. Right. Right. And a little bit later, you're like, my addiction is there, but it's more of like a comfortable love rather than a wild infatuation right. that clouds your judgment. Yeah, exactly. You're not driving off the cliff with James Dean at the end of the movie. You're like, listen, we'll meet for a coffee. We'll see how we things will. go. It'll be fine. Yeah, okay. a little bit more measured risk for hey, sure. Brandon will be okay without me this time. It'll be fine. <laughs> you performed obviously all over the place. I'm a friend of yours on Facebook. I see your travels. You're, you're always posting funny stuff and jokes. And, uh, do you feel like you need to be funny all the time? Or do you, is there a different side of Lori that, that you don't feel like you have to perform for, for people other than your fans on the radio and your fans out in stand-up? Huh, that's a great question because it makes me have to think. <laughs> I, when I'm being funny, I don't think I need to be. I'm doing it because that's who I am and it makes me happy. Right. Um, it might it might surprise people to know how little I go out and do stuff mm-hmm. and socialize. I'm quite a homebody, and I don't need to be around people all the time. 
my family doesn't think I'm hysterically funny because I'm just mom right. and wife. That, but that's their normal. Right. So I don't have to... I, when I'm being funny, it's not because I need a fix. It's because it's who I am. Um, it's a natural thing for you. It's organic. I, th- I really think it is. I really do. But I know that there are people that meet me that would probably like to say to me, oh my God, you're always on. Right. And and I totally would understand why they said that. Right. I would totally get it. And then on the other hand, I am um, I'm a person that uh, deals with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I've had like three big depressions in my life. I'm on antidepressants for them. I get anxious socially. Um, uh, when I'm doing comedy, I have, <laughs> I have no sweat pills right. that I take right. that I got from my doctor because my adrenaline and my anxiety, and I don't think all anxiety is bad. Sure. I think that anxiety makes my senses really sharp and it puts me in the moment and there's a lot of good to be had in it. But I am also a champion sweater. Right. And the sweat <laughs> is all from my head. Right. My pits are beautiful. Yeah. You would have no idea. I the have crack the of my ass, dry. Dry. You could serve ribs on it. It would be no problem. But my head, just like wet. Leaks, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. My face, just I'm the same over. way. I'm always like, my just, my, just leaks out the yeah. front of my face. Yeah. All the time. And my neck, just, yeah. Yeah, feels like and I just you always hear, what did you hear all your life? Don't let them see you sweat. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, easy for you to say, right? God. So, so yeah, I have these pills that I take, and it gives me dry mouth because it dries you up. Sure. So I'm like, I'm like going, nah, nah. by the end of the night, I look like I've had too much crack or something. Is it crack that does dry mouth? I don't know about drugs, but whatever gives you dry mouth, that's the person. That's I am what then. you got. That's mm-hmm. what you're taking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I mean, I've got, I've had my crap to deal with, but I like to, um, I like to be self-aware about it. I have no problem talking about it because. You never know who's listening. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And they're like, holy crap, my head does that too. <laughs> and I, I sweat at Superstar at times as well. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yes, you are. Drugs and therapy together. Great combo. <laughs> well, you talk a lot about that stuff on stage. You're not afraid to talk about uh, self-deprecation. You make jokes all the time. Is that something that you've always been comfortable doing? Yeah, I have. I mean, being a big lady... Uh, someone told me really early, like, if there's something obvious about you, that you should acknowledge it mm-hmm. within the first 30 seconds. I, I don't know if it's a hard... I, there's nothing that's a hard and fast rule, but it's not a bad idea um, because they need to know that you know, and it puts a crowd at ease. You right. can almost feel the shoulders go down after you're like, ah. Like my first joke, a lot of times I'll say, you might recognize me. It's because uh, I do a lot of modeling in my spare time. Mm-hmm. Here's my signature pose, and I hold up a sign that says "before," <laughs> with a, with like a very sad face, <laughs> and and it works really really well right. at just putting everybody at ease. Which is a funny thing because <laughs> when you think about it, would would a big lady not know that she was big? <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Like all of a sudden, I'd look down in the middle of the set and go, "Oh my god, did you guys?" <laughs> Did you see that I am plus size? I had no idea. Why didn't anyone say anything? You can cut the tension with a knife in here. <laughs> so but what yeah. is that? Is that is that giving people permission to laugh? You I think? think it is. It's yes. just being okay with just saying, "Hey, man, like I'm in on it too. Don't yes. worry about it." Yes. And what I try to do because, like, I'm really aware the more I do it that I don't want to use self-deprecation as a crutch, um, particularly just weight. Right. Based, so I'm. I hope that by the end of my set, maybe there's been an arc. I, that's a term that like people who know what they're doing say, right? So I'm going to sure. say it, yeah. and you're going to believe that I know what it means. Like <laughs> there's mean... an arc in my act that goes from, oh, she's she's a big lady, she knows it, she's making fun of it. Yet by the end of my set, I may be belting out a blues song called the Granny Panty Blues and then wiping the sweat off my head with my panties that I've pulled out of my pants. And I'm celebrating the Granny Panties, which is part of being big. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, I love it. I love it. Absolutely it does. Okay, good. Okay, good. Maybe, you know, wouldn't it be great if that made someone feel a little bit more comfortable that's, in their yeah, own skin? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That would be cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'd like that. What... Um, 
historically a lot of people, and, and I know that, that you've spoken about this before, about, listen, you've got kids here, you've got family here, this is this is home base for you. And you don't really have to live in a different city if there's always, you can fly in to, to do work at whatever club that you want to. But obviously, historically, comedians feel like they have to reach a certain market mm-hmm. at a certain point in their career, and they're going to run off to L.A. or New York or these you know larger markets. Have you ever felt like you wanted to take a risk like that and, and move to you know, a Toronto or a Los Angeles or a New York? Do you think that, I mean, when Mark Breslin talked about this, he said you can also make a very comfortable living being very good in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, and there's plenty of comedy to go around here. Um, do you feel like you ultimately have to make a step like that? No. No, because I think if you believe that you have to leave for, for that to happen, then that becomes your truth. Mm-hmm. That's you've decided that that's the only way it's going to work. So, so in another way, you've decided that it's not going to work if you stay where you are. That's a fascinating way to look at it. Very yeah. limiting. Right. Right. Um, it's been easy for me not to go anywhere because I have a family and kids. Right. So I don't have to go home and think about it and weigh the pros and cons because it's not happening. Mm-hmm. I'm not about to say, honey, quit your good job. Kids, leave your friends, right. leave the house that we've been in for 22 years because mom wants to go and try and tell jokes in L.A. Sure. It, it would be so selfish of me to do that. Right. Um, now, if they were all on board, you know, because God forbid I would judge anybody who did that. If your family's on board and they want to go play at the beach, Newport, right. whatever, go yeah. do it. Right. Yeah. But for me, that's not an option. So I haven't had to struggle with it. And I think whatever you believe is what you can do. In people say, well, if you stay in Calgary, you know, you're, you know, yeah, you're not going to get festivals if you stay in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, wrong. No, look at you know people like Trent McClellan. Sure. He stayed in Calgary. He's doing fantastically well. Right. And he works at comedy as a full-time job. Right. So um, it can be done wherever you are. It just depends on... Uh, you have to be flexible, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Because it's not going to be the same... If you decide, this is the path I'm taking, and I will not deviate from the path. Right. You, you know, maybe in a way I, I admire your spunk, and I say, wow, good for you for being so determined, but... If you're not willing to go off course a little bit, maybe you're missing out on something that could have been a wild imagine. Oh, just like a, the adventure sure. that you could have had. Right. Like what? If, what if when uh, uh, X929 said to me, "Do you want to join the morning show?" Mm-hmm. and I had no business being in radio at all. Mm-hmm. They just liked the chemistry we had. Right. When I went and promoted my shows, I can't imagine a person saying no to that. Right. Why would you not want to jump into that pool and see how it felt? Absolutely. You can yeah. always get out again. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You've got control, really. Yeah. Very so true. I don't think location has to be the be all and end all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and it's, it's so different for me. I'm not a 25 year old guy who's in a, in a pool of comedians that are so many other 25-year-old guys, <laughs> there is, absolutely. right? And they're trying to get stage time, and, and they, they feel like there's so many people coming from the same perspective. That's, a, that's something I can't understand, and they can't understand being a 49-year-old woman right. who has almost grown kids that still does comedy. Right. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and especially in the comedy world, like uh, coming in at such a later age, at forty, I mean, I've experienced this in this short time. Is is uh, well, two things. I find that comedy can almost be you almost have a bit of an advantage because you've got a lifelong, yeah, lifetime of lessons you can pull from and stories and, and experience. Uh, the other part of that is that there's a lot of comedians out there that have been in the game for a long time, mm-hmm. and I've seen comedy become very cut cutthroat. I've seen people get very jealous. Uh, I see people, and it's almost like this weird intrinsic feeling that people are threatened by that you might take something away from them that they might have had an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Did you ever experience any of that type of stuff coming up in the in in comedy? Did you have mentors? You have people that that reach down and to, to help you out? Yes. And uh, before I forget, um, I was going to sound like a saint and say, "No, I've never ever felt that on someone else." Got <laughs> this is like a flat out lie, right? Because um, do you know Karen O'Keefe? She's I've heard the name. Now. I've heard the name. Um, she's uh, hilarious and beautiful and a very dear friend of mine. And she started comedy five months before me. Right. So 
when I was looking at the, the, the blog that had the list of the amateurs that were going to be on the next week, mm-hmm. I would see her name and I'd be like, oh, there's that Karen again. And then I would, I finally did it myself and I met this Karen that I'd right. seen on the blog and I wanted to be her friend and she's really introverted and she's, uh, she would tell you this to your face that socially she is not perhaps as smooth as velvet, um, <laughs> which we laugh about a lot. But all I wanted was to be like funny like Karen, right. who was five months ahead of me. No way. And I remember the manager came up to her from Yuck Yucks and handed her an envelope one day before amateur night. And right. I'm like, oh, my God, that's a paycheck. <laughs> oh, my God. She did comedy and she got paid for it. Oh, my God. And then and then she, I remember she got the, um, the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. And I was like, I'm so happy for you and so... So oh, horribly jealous. <laughs> and then we had the great Canadian laugh off, and I was the Alberta winner. They go to Toronto, and she goes, I'm happy for you, but shit, uh, I wanted that too. <laughs> and so we, when we got open about great it, relationship. it yeah. became just something funny. And I remember, like Louis C.K., by the way, right. hello. Yeah. Can I please marry him immediately? <laughs> I can't handle the love I have for a man I've never met. He said in one of his episodes or on stage but he was talking about his daughter mm-hmm. and he said you don't ever look in someone's bowl beside you to see how much they have unless you're checking to make sure that they have enough i remember that oh that was that was on his tv show that was amazing yeah and man yeah. that and that's another thing like if you have a belief that there is a finite amount of opportunities in comedy and a finite amount of gigs that are out there to be gotten you are always going to be unhappy and disappointed. Mm-hmm. If you believe that there's enough for everybody, that there's abundance, and that, hey, you can also create some of that yourself, right? you're going to avoid a really painful part mm-hmm. of your career, right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much better when you support each other. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever experienced the, uh, people feeling like uh, you haven't paid dues? Or I know a lot of people that have been in the comedy game, and they they look at it uh, as that you need to suffer, you need to sleep on couches, you need to mm-hmm. live in a van, you need to travel gig to gig for twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. You were a pretty fast rising star in comedy. Yeah. Did you ever get any backlash from people thinking that you? Because I went out to Kelowna, and I, I heard a comment from somebody say, uh, "Oh, this guy drives a nice car. Like he's never." I'm like, well, no, I've had a lifetime of pain and suffering yes, to get that yes, car and, and, you know, very generous things in my life that have happened. But, but it's not, it's, it's not because I'm not, it doesn't mean that because you have a career and that you're, you're responsible and you have a bills and a house and kids that you cannot be funny because you haven't suffered. Oh, no kidding. Have you ever felt like, uh, like people? Well, I haven't, but I do, I do know that it might be out there. And I think, I think what people, okay, if people were thinking negative things about me, at the beginning, I would think that they would go, here we go again, a woman who's 40, having a midlife crisis and decides she wants to do comedy. Sure. She'll be gone in six months. Right. That's fine. It doesn't matter. That doesn't affect me what you think. Right. I remember my my dear friend, Tony Bins, (laughs) Tony, um, a comedian, he said to me for the first two years I knew you I wondered what your agenda was and I go what are you talking about you're not one of us nobody is that nice without wanting something and I'm like well I probably just wanted you to like me if you know if you want to know the truth right that's I was very very needy at the beginning and I so badly wanted to fit in um but as far as like moving fast I don't know there, there might be people who say Oh, well, she probably moved fast because she has a uniqueness in that she's an older woman doing comedy. Right. So, you know, when you think of maybe there's certain shows where they're like, we want it to be diverse, so we don't want all 25-year-old white guys. Right, right. We got to have a girl in there, so maybe she got ahead because she's a girl. And if if someone thinks that, that's that's fine. That's that's not... That's not in my hula hoop. That's right. my analogy. Like in your hula hoop right. are all the things that make you you, your beliefs and your values and everything that you believe in makes you who you are. And sometimes people will walk up and they'll try to put something in your hula hoop and go, 
you're getting ahead in comedy because you're an old broad. Right. And you look at it and go, oh, thank you so much for thinking of me. But this does not actually belong in my hula hoop. Thank you so much for stopping by. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so, and if that was the case, well, maybe I got some chances. And maybe I should be really thankful for that. But if you get the chances and you fail, you don't keep getting the chances. Right. So there's You're work it for a reason. It. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If everything were to end in a couple of weeks from now, what, what would you want to be remembered for in the... In... How many ashes were left? <laughs> <laughs> if they needed two containers? <laughs> what, what, what riverbank are we going to throw these in? Or we're going to cut out and throw these somewhere. The bow's fine. The bow whatever. Fine. You know what? If it's raining and there's just like a gutter, just put it in a sailboat made of paper and go... Uh, what you mean? Like if I was di- if I was dead? Well, yeah, you can it's say so it. morbid. I'm, I'm, I'm a Scorpio. It's a bit morbid, morbid, maybe, but uh, yeah, let's yeah, let's go with death. If if you got a couple of weeks to check out, what would you want uh, people to say about Lori Gibb at the? At the I would want them to say, "Oh man, she freaking loved life," and. God, I remember that time she did that. I almost peed my pants laughing. Okay, I really did pee my pants, and. When they remembered me, I am uh, I am too honest to say I don't want them to cry. I totally want you to cry. Are you kidding me? I'm awesome. <laughs> you will miss me. I want the saddle dome filled out for my funeral. I want everybody to come. I want out. This, more tears than the flood of 2013 is what I want. Yes, I want I want you to I want you to feel uh, every emotion because that's what living really is. But but mostly I just I I hope that I, I took my time on the earth and I put some joy in it and I hope that that rippled outward and that it made people feel happiness. Well said. Well said. Where can people find you, Lori? I know I follow you on Twitter. I'm, you're on Facebook. One, okay. <laughs> you know someone right now is... I know. Just yeah. getting ready to. Write I know. That stuff um, down. You can find me in your heart and in your soul, and on Up ninety seven seven on the morning show, and uh, I live in Deer Run. So if you want to come to the co op, I'm there a couple times a week. And did they I yank have, the Burger King out of there. Did they? Did I what? Did did, did they yank the Burger King out of uh, Deer Run? The Burger Run? King's been gone for a long time, oh, but so it's okay because there's an Edo now. Oh, okay, that's and not bad. Edo, you know, you don't feel as guilty. Exactly. It's so good. <laughs> And, uh, oh, yes, I have a lovely website, uh, lauriegibbs.ca. Yes. And, um, yeah, just if you see me, like, just hug me. Yeah. I would really like that. Excellent. And smell my hair. And smell your hair. (laughs) (laughs) You're fun. Oh, this has been a blast. And I have to say, out of all the interviews that I've done, this is the one that I've looked forward to the most. Uh, just because I feel like we've got so much in common and we share a lot of the same story and I truly look up to you and admire you in the comedy world. So Stop it. I do. Did yeah. you get a bigger boner at any other podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> Tony Crollo gave me some major boon. Some major oh, wood. Oh, the Crollo. Gary Clark, uh, Michael oh, Gary Harrison. Clark. Yeah, all lookers. But Gary, yeah, uh, Gary by far too, the so. best. So. Oh, Thank you so much for doing this one. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, bye. All right. All right, there you have it. The wonderful Lori Gibbs. Didn't I tell you that interview was going to be awesome? My hero, my mentor, Miss Lori Gibbs. Thank you so much for doing that, Lori. I had an absolute blast. Looking forward to having you on the show again. And uh, hey, be sure to check us out on Twitter. And of course, go to yuckyucks.com. Check out all the fascinating comics that are coming your way. Reach us out on uh, Twitter at Jake Hirsch EG, hashtag YYCP. Give us a shout out. By all means, go to iTunes. The biggest compliment you can give us is to write a review. Please do that. On behalf of myself, Jake Hirsch, your host, and of course, Mr. Mark Breslin, executive producer Kira Williams. And the webmaster on the one, twos, and threes, Miss Camille. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.